Good morning. Uh, a few weeks ago, Pastor Wesco contacted me and asked me to fill in for him during the day after the Joel's wedding yesterday. And the very first thing that came to my mind was the relationship that God has between us, God, and business. And first off, I have to say this. Volumes could be written on business and God. I cannot cover it all in 45 minutes. So just a fair warning before we begin. But I guess where the best place to start in relationship between God and business is money. And there's systems of exchanges. So I would wonder if I could get six volunteers from the audience. Or nine. Depends on how many people are here. Start with six. Okay. Mr. Vanderwerf, Mr. Smith. Tool. This does, what? Yes, please. Come on up. Um, and you do get a bowl of candy, by the way. So is that an extra incentive for anyone? Okay. Why are the older men coming up? I need one more. Oh, they, oh. Okay. All right. All right. You all actually, you know, you guys can grab any bowl you want for this exercise. Just you can come up and grab one. Surely there is three kids in the audience. I see some right now. All right. Okay, so for this exercise, um, you guys can look at the screen, but everyone should get a bowl of candy. And so there's really, I'm going to separate this into two phases. So the first phase, you only get a trade. Okay, actually, wait a bit. You can only trade with people in your group. So I'm going to separate you guys into groups. So Mr. Densmore, Uncle Bob, you guys come over here. Mr. Smith, you go with Mr. Tool. You guys go on top of the stage. Yes, you and Mr. Smith. You guys go on top of the stage. <laughs> and now you two. You're going to be in one group. So here's the rules. You guys can only trade with people in your group. So you see what you got. You see what other person in your group has. So I'm going to allow you some time to trade with the other person. All right? Starting now. All right. So just as an explanation of currency, so bartering was the earliest form of exchange. It was products for products, products for services. Back in ancient times, for instance, mechanics would exchange their services for uh, products from like a grocery store or something like that. So ancient, I know. But uh, that's one system where you could trade products for a product. There wasn't many money involved. Then it turned to other types of currencies like stones, other types of raw materials, gold, silver, things like that. And then we came to fiat currency, which is what we currently have today. That would be the dollar. Um, even the euro and the other types of currencies like that. You guys done trading? Mr. Tool, Mr. Smith, okay. For the next phase, now you're allowed to trade with anyone in any group. So you can go around, look at, see what everyone else has. I'll let you guys have time to trade, all right? And then I'll ask you guys some questions after you're done. So there are some things you can buy with money. Uh, actually, there's even cryptocurrency. That's another currency I forgot to mention. There's some things that you can and cannot buy with money. So one of them is products, right? We can trade, we can buy products with money, and we can own things, own stock, whether it owns a company like Apple or something like that. You can influence people, buy media companies, things like that. They're taking longer than I thought. Uh, <laughs> uh, and then you can have rights, opportunity. You can sometimes buy opportunity to do different things in different environments, whether you want to go on vacation or whatever. I don't know. Different types of stuff. But there's some things 
money really can't buy, and that's true relationships, true relationships with God. Now, you can buy business opportunities and relationships with other companies and things like that, but you really can't buy friendship. You can't buy companionship. You can't buy those things with money. Time. Once time spent, you can't go back and try to buy it back. It's one of those things you just can't buy. Wow, this is taking a while. <laughs> happiness. You know, it can bring temporal happiness. Money can. It can give you opportunities to have fun, but eventually that happiness has some emptiness, has some void. And then wisdom. It can't buy wisdom, something that only God can give in his scriptures and in his word. And then eternal security. Mark chapter 8, verse 36. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? It's very important that eternal, eternal things are much more worth than money and keeping our focus there. It's more of a heart issue than a money issue per se. Um, all right, so, oh, I can't leave you there, can I? So money, again, money is a medium of exchange. And then for the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So as you can see in the verse, it's the love of money, not money. Some people read this as just money, for money is the root of all evil. But see, that neglects the spiritual side, where it's our heart issue. But anyway, back to you guys. <laughs> How many of you were ha totally satisfied with what you had in your bowl, and you didn't trade at all? None of you. Okay, Mr. Smith. Ah, okay, good. I, I was glad one. I did trade, but I was satisfied with what was in there to begin with. Oh, okay. Very important. <laughs> all right. How many of you trade with someone and want something maybe different? Different flavor, different candy bar? Everybody. Okay. You guys can sit down. Thank you for your help. And you can get to keep the candy, too. So... So what we just kind of demonstrated was a bartering system. You know, in this case, they're bartering snacks, candy, things like that, just to kind of you know, get something maybe better than you want. Not necessarily wrong, not bad, right? Maybe want, uh, Mr. Vanderwerf wanted a candy bar versus one of the fruit bars that we had there. I don't know. You know so it's things like that. It's not necessarily bad, the wants and needs of wanting something different, because it's more in tune with our needs. Um, let's see. I took it out of order, didn't I? Okay. So, money is generally distributed, according to the United States, in like three different categories. This is the upper, middle, lower classes. Uh, so, 50% people probably fall into the lower class, 40% middle, and 10% into the upper class. And there tends to be this type of thing in society where, um, where we build up like some type of tension because of where people fall in these categories. Uh, this slide here, um, this kind of addresses what, what job is like the most spiritual, what position in life we have. Some people, not, maybe not here, but some, some people outside, we kind of think that some positions are more spiritual or better than another position. Uh, when I was in college, one of my professors talked about this type of setup. For instance, missionaries, pastors would probably put them up high on that spiritual position. Then you go to your first responders, your doctors, your blue collar workers, your white collar workers. Then you got your business people, and then you got your lawyers at the bottom. You know, 
So, but uh, the, my professor loved to say, you know, uh, we're not as bad as business people. We're not as bad as the people because at least we're better than the lawyers, right? So, it's all good, no problems whatsoever. But either way, you can see how this type of mindset, although we laugh about it, some people actually do possess this type of mentality in how we treat people. And I've talked to people in the business world, and they can sense it right off where people think this. Because it comes out in how you say things, how you look at them, and just different things like this. It's just, it, it's a mentality that so, some people can't quite explain. And so, um, it, in connecting this uh, to spirituality, this mentality here, All classes are acceptable, or any people in that whole line of where it's wealth, the upper, low, middle class. No one is more important, per se, in each group than another. In other words, we're all equal in the kingdom of God. It's not a matter of wealth or money that God rates us in that category. Ecclesiastes 7.20 there's not a just man upon earth that doeth good and sinneth not. Very simply, we're all sinners. Kind of levels the playing field, right? Doesn't say anything about money. Doesn't say anything about where we are in life, our condition, anything about that. We're all sinners. We start in the same place. Uh, please turn with me to Psalm chapter 8. Psalm chapter 8, verse 4. Again, reading in Psalm chapter 8, verse 4. What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen, yea, and the beasts of the field, and the fowl of the air, and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passeth through the paths of the seas, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Again, in that psalm, you can see in even verse 4, what is man, the psalmist asks. No position. Again, what is man? It's a humbling attitude. And this aspect of pride versus humility is kind of contrasted throughout the Bible. Again, not a money issue, not even a position issue, but it's a pride, this um, mentality of pride and humility. I love this next story. Turn to Luke chapter 18. The parable of the tax collector. Now, I so happen to be a tax accountant, if anyone didn't know. So this kind of is relevant, right? But, maybe not entirely. But in Luke chapter 8, it talks about a distinction between two people, right? The Pharisee, who is very proud of his current situation in life, where he is. He's pretty pretty full of what he's got in life, and he's very happy about it, but he's also very proud about it. The tax collector, on the hand, knows that he's a sinner. He knows he's got a problem. And so, therefore, the two, I want you to watch for two distinctions between how these two people approach in their prayer to God. Starting in Luke chapter 18, verse 9. And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves, 
and they and that they were righteous and despised others. Verse chapter 10, Jesus speaking. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. A Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men, or extortioners, unjust, adulterers, and, or even as this publican. I fast twice in a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And notice the distinction. And the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes onto heaven, but smote his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus speaking, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Again, notice the distinction here. This is more of a heart issue. This is an, uh, is, uh, an issue about uh, class. It's not an issue about worldly possessions in, in business. This is more of a heart issue. And also, God doesn't, distinct, God doesn't necessarily prefer one another. He says, hey, let's bring it in verse 14. What's the heart issue? I tell you, the man that went down to his house justified, the publican, rather than the other, for everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. That's just the difference of opinion of these two men. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 21. Make you perfect as God in every good work to do His will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in the sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. It's an output of what God has put into our lives. It is something that God does. It's not something we can do. This heart issue thing, we can't rely on ourselves to become... Uh, somehow more spiritual. Uh, missionaries, pastors, uh, businessmen, lawyers, doctors, we all have the same struggle, which is sin, a problem that we all have had since creation, right? Or since the fall of man. I'd like to also tell you another story of pride or humility, the story of Job and Nebuchadnezzar. Turn to Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4, verse 28. Uh, Daniel's here speaking about the vision of the tree in Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Starting in Daniel chapter 4, verse 28. All this came upon the king Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of, 12, of the twelve months, he walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. And the king spake and said, Is this not great Babylon? that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power, for the honor of my majesty. And while the word was yet in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, saying, O king Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken, the kingdom is departed from thee, and they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and seven times shall pass over thee, until thou knowest that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he willeth. The same hour was the thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar, and he was driven from men, and he did eat grass as oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his, 
hairs were grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. Some things I want to point out here is Nebuchadnezzar was really proud of his achievements. You can see that in verse, verse 30. The might of my power have I built the house of the kingdom by the might of my power for the honor of my majesty. He focused on himself and his pride. He relied on his own strength, or at least he thought, to have all the power that he had possessed in the kingdom of Babylon. But God humbled him. Continue in Daniel chapter 4, verse 34. And at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, now notice the distinction of the voice of Nebuchadnezzar in this passage. Nebuchadnezzar lifted up mine eyes onto heaven, and my understanding returned unto me, and I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and whose kingdom is from generation to generation. Notice the tone difference there. From verse 30, uh, 28 to 33, we can see that Nebuchadnezzar is very proud and he's humbled. And then in verse 34, we have this distinction of where from when he's humbled, now God taught him somehow to honor God. Humbling experience. But in that experience, he recognized the source of truth. You can see that in verse 34. God also restored to him his health and sanity, right? Doesn't happen to everyone. Daniel, uh, let's turn to Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1, verse 13. And there was a day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And there came a messenger unto Job and said, The oxen were blowing, plowing, and the asses feeding, and beside them, and the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I, and I alone am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, the fire of God is fallen from heaven and hath burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The Chaldeans made out three bands and fell upon the camels and have carried them away, yea, and slayed the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone am escaped to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another set and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house. And it fell upon the young men, and they are dead. And I am alone only and escaped alone to tell thee. And Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, notice in Job chapter, 22, chapter 1, verse 22, in all this Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. Now this type of humility, I think... Humility is kind of one of those requirements mentioned in the Bible that's more or less a requirement. 
for Christians, right? Especially when we're meditating by ourselves is in relationship to God. It's interesting to even look at this passage, though, looking back into verse 12 of this passage. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power, only upon himself, but not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. This came not out of Job's pride, but necessarily, um, which I say, Satan's pride in a way. He's definitely going to sin if you take away all of his possessions that you've given to him. Right? That's what Satan was arguing. God said, sure, take away all of his possessions, see what happens. Take away even his health, his wealth. In all this, Job sinned not. Turn over to Job chapter 42, when he's restored. Job chapter 42, verse 10. And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Also the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then came there unto him all his brethren and all his sisters, and all they that had been of his acquaintance before, and did eat bread with him in his house. And they bemoaned him and comforted him over all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. Every man also gave him a piece of money, and every one an earring of gold. So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning, for he had 13,000 sheep and 6,000 camels and a 1,000 yoke of oxen and a 1,000 she-asses. He, he had also seven sons and three daughters. Uh, Job was, in the end, he was given a double portion of what he had before. And it's very interesting to see, looking in verse chapter 11, look at the very bottom of the verse where it says, um, and had brought upon him, every man also gave him a piece of money and everyone an earring of gold. For some reason, I think, this is a theory, that Job used the money that was given to him in order to increase it twice over, and the Lord blessed him through his diligence in his work. Doesn't say that in there, but that's how I think maybe the Lord used what was given to him as a way to build wealth once again. But you know, there's one thing you can't replace, and that's people, right? Who did he lose in chapter 1? Does anyone know? People, right? Sisters, his, excuse me, his daughters and sons. Can't replace them. Something money can't buy, right? Life. Nothing happens without God's permission, as we learned back in chapter 1, verse 12. But one of the things I really want to point out here is that money is very fleeting. Proverbs chapter 23, if you wanted to look at it, uh, verse 4 through 5. Labor not to be rich. Cease from thine own wisdom. Will thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as eagles toward heaven. Everyone suffers, including Job, the just and the unjust. Romans chapter 8, verse 20 through 22. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope 
because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption unto the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. Riches do not spare you from trials and difficulties in life. And for Christians, we're told in the New Testament about we are actually supposed to expect difficulties and trials in life. Oh, how long was on that slide? <laughs> okay. Well, I guess I already went to the slide, so I might as well talk about it. So here's some functions of business. Most of you say this is kind of obvious, uh, but I guess you can look up there. Accounting helps management make sound business decisions and presents accurate financial and information to investors. Uh, marketing tells the world about the company. It's kind of hard to sell something if you don't tell people about it, right? No one knows about it, you can't sell it. Services and products. Operations runs the physical distribution of products and services, tries to find more efficient ways of you know, delivering a product or service to someone. Management kind of oversees those ideas. And then IT, of course, you know, just making sure technology's right for the business. Did I do that? I did. There we go. In the Bible, there's uh, three things that uh, businesses tend to focus on and goals. And in my own studies, especially when I was at college, um, I learned about these three things. And I wondered, how does this relate to what God wants us to do for when we when we create businesses, when we're focusing on what we can do to, you know, be better um, stewards of what God has given to us and to help those in our communities. And these are three focuses that actually came to mind. So there's the economic. Obviously, you want to create something that's financially sustainable, right? No profit, no ministry, as someone used to tell me, right? If you're making negatives, you probably won't be in business for very long, even as a nonprofit. So you need to find, find what need you need to fill and then finding a way to actually deliver that. And the one way of doing that is by delivering something with absolute honesty and integrity. Uh, going to Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 13 through 15. Uh, you can turn there if you want. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 13 through 15. Thou shalt not have in thy bag diverse weights, a great and a small. Thou shalt not have thine house diverse measures, a great and a small. But thou shalt have a perfect and just weight. A perfect and just measure shalt thou have, and thy days may be lengthened in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. So you can see in that verse, it's talking about having a just weight, a just balance. And this is what we're trying to create. We're trying to create a just Economy, something that provides for the needs of others. Second uh, Corinthians chapter eight, verse twenty through twenty-one. Avoiding this, that no man should blame us in this abundance which is administered by us, providing for honest things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. Like in the exchange we had earlier t today, where the guys were exchanging candy. You know, how do how do you create fairness in that type of system? You know, uh, people meeting their needs, their wants type of thing. 
And I'll define that a little later. So that's the economic side. What's the social side? What does that relate to? Where, where does God talk about the social aspect of the Bible? Turn to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. The social aspect has something to do with community, right? How we relate to community, how we, how we are involved in our community, what we do. So there in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31, 32, 31 actually, to 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. In that verse, we're told, be kind one to another. In the context of the verse, we're talking about believers. But I don't think we should separate our kindness to believers from the kindness that we show to our neighbors, spiritually unbelievers, people in the community, maybe even leaders who we don't agree with all the time, people who've elected in, right? Turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And how do we live, right? How do we live separate from the world, yet live in the world, and yet be a minister to those that are lost? So in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And then going to verse 9 of chapter, uh, Romans chapter 12, let love be without dissimulation, abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Be kindly, affectionate one to another with brotherly love, in honor, preferring one another, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, Rejoicing in the hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of the saints, giving to hospitality. Bless them, with bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice, and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recommends to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourself, but rather give place unto wrath, for neither give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. And if he thirst, Give him drink, for in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire in his head. Be not overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Again, what the text is talking about is like, we are to told to be separate from the world, but as you can tell from verse 9 to 21, it talks about that relationship, right, with society, between us and society. We're not supposed to, as 
it's a overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. So we're doing something in the world. We're not totally separate. Bless them which persecute you. Not slothful in business. Many different things. So how do we get involved in community, right? Well, what type of things involve community? What do we do? Well, there's some things. We can volunteer at different things for community, whether it be projects or whatnot. Neighborhood events, town hall meetings. Uh, could be supporting your local schools. Helping the elderly buy locally. Believe it or not, that helps your local economy. I can't talk about that. We don't have enough time for that. But anyway, vote. Vote. Very important, right? Uh, it's, it's hard to be heard uh, if you don't speak on it. When there's issues, if no one talks about it, how are your leaders supposed to know if something's wrong? Right? So be involved. Go out into your community. Talk about things with other people. It's a good thing. And it's hard to see. It's hard for people, especially unbelievers, to see Christ if we're nowhere to be found. Right? God needs people who are willing to go out and be a minister to others. It's also another thing that's the social aspect is pay. As businesses, do we pay a fair wage? Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 14. says, Thou shalt not oppress an hired servant that is poor and needy, whether he be of thy brethren or of thy strangers that are in thy land, within thy gates. At his day thou shalt give him his hire, neither shall the sun go down upon it, for he is poor, and setteth his heart upon it, lest he cry against thee unto the Lord, and it be sin unto thee. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 13. Thou shalt not defraud thy neighbor, neither rob him. The wages of him that is hired shall not abide with thee all the night until the morning. God wants this sense of fairness, right? Another social aspect that we have as a business is being fair in how we treat people, right? Being fair in how much we pay people, paying them an honest wage, and then paying them on time. It's one of the important ones, right? Philippians, turns with me to Philippians chapter 2, verse 4. Philippians chapter 2, verse 4. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. And being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. I think what we can see here is another thing, one of the things that God's trying to say is, let this mind be in you. It's a way of living, right? How we follow through in being, you know, we treat other people, how we, how we witness to other people. Environmental aspect. That's the third uh, type of relationship there is between God and man. Believe it or not, I know some people don't like to talk about the environment, especially when it's overemphasized on either side, right? No environment, total environment. We can't build houses because we affect the environment, right? So where do we balance the truth, right? 
And normally it's somewhere in this sustainable, right? Bearable, like, you could think of bearable in the social, environmental aspect. It would be like if I said that you, you cannot work for money, but yet you have to serve, right? Not paying someone, expecting people just to work for free in a way. Uh, viable. It may be economical, might be environmental, but it has nothing to do with society. Probably not too good. Equitable, yeah, it affects social. It's economic, but you're paying people a fair wage, but at the same time, you're you know, dumping gas into the lakes and stuff. I probably don't want to do that, right? Probably not the greatest. Anyway, I should let the scriptures talk on it. So, so let's uh, turn, um, Psalm chapter 24. You can turn turn there if you want. Uh, it says in Psalm chapter 24, verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. So what this verse is saying, the Lord created the earth, right? And then if we go into Genesis chapter 2, 15, the Lord took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and keep it. It's an example of taking care of the environment in a way, Right? to till the garden, to take care of what God has given to us. And so, as man, we're given this responsibility to, well, how do we take care of what we're given, right? When you buy a new vehicle, you don't just never clean it, never fill it with gas, right? You take care of a vehicle. Well, same thing with the environment. Why we upkeep it, we keep it clean. We'd like to do good things for it. But there is that overemphasis, right, where people say, can't produce certain things because somehow it protects CO2. I don't know. I don't know the science, so I'm not professional in that. Anyway, moving on. Uh, productivity. Um, turn to Ecclesiastes 9.10. Ecclesiastes 9.10. Pro productivity, in a way, could be described as how we, how we produce something uh, how we produce something for others, um, and how we also pursue excellence in that way, you know, uh, doing the best we can with what we have and what God has given us, the gifts, the abilities, and all those things. So reading Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 10, it says, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave, whither thou goest. Uh, do it unto the Lord, right? Verse saying, pursue excellence. Whatever you do, do it with thy might. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. So you can sense that, 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 that whenever we're doing it, we're doing it heartily to the Lord. We're, doing, we have to, we're called to be productive, but we're also supposed to do it in the Lord, not in ourselves. And in a way, productivity, a lot of times we think of this short-term goal of like, at least some people in the outside world is that money, we can build it up real quickly, right? Building it hastily, that seems to be something that is pretty common in the world nowadays. But if you turn to chapter of Proverbs, chapter 21, verse 5, we can see uh, what God says about riches. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 5. The thoughts of the diligent tend only to plenteousness, but everyone that is hasty only to want. 
Wealth creating is a process. It's not something that just, boom, magically happens. A lot of schemes nowadays where, you know, you get rich quick. It's very stimulating to the mind at first, but its end is very tragic for those that take it. So beware of those paths that just rush through things and the thoughts of the diligent. Be careful of what you think of, how you think of it, what context. Just a thought. Just a thought. But there's also this need for rest, isn't there? We live in a society where productivity is very much pursued, very much promoted, and not many people talk about the rest aspect of it. And there's this dual aspect, right? We, we don't want to be lazy, but we also don't want to be overworking because God wants his saints to have some in sleep, right? If you're, if you're getting like four hours of sleep every day, you're probably not operating at your best, probably not doing the best for your body. And one way you can look at this is even going to go to Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. I'm going to read from a few verses that reference this, and that is Psalm 127, verse 2, and it says, It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 5, That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Now read with me in Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it shalt thou, do, do, shalt thou not do any work, thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, nor thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cow, nor thy stranger, that is within thy gates." So important was it that rest was so important that God put it in the, the Ten Commandments because he knew someone was going to work too hard, right? People need rest. You can't operate without rest. But you also need this aspect of being productive during those six days out of seven days. That's why we come here today to worship God, to focus, to meditate while resting on the Word of God. Now, in reference to productivity, uh, so it's understanding capital. Uh, capital can be viewed in different ways. Uh, there's a lot of ways people analyze capital. It's kind of values, right? So human, what skills or expertise or knowledge do you bring to the table? This is like when you're going to go to a job interview, right? They're analyzing your resume. What do you have? What do you not have? Uh, what's the social aspect? How do you network with other people? How do you get along with people? Reputation. What credibility? What are you known for? Believe it or not, people have reputations. Everyone has a reputation. Even children are known for that. Economic. What financial resources do you bring? Are you an investor, right? Uh, symbolic. What is your title? Background, right? Organizational. What is your formal authority? What decisions do you make? Where are you at in that organization? And then there's this cultural. How do you effectively, do you present and communicate the history and culture of the organization? Your personal culture, organization's culture, right? And 
And one of this, when people look at this, they evaluate more than just money. That's what I'm trying to show here, is that money isn't the determinant of everything. And people, when they make decisions, they're not just relying on one interaction. They're looking at a lot of different ways, a lot of different things that you might not think of. So that's just more or less informational for you guys. So when I was in college, another story. So when I was in uh, college, uh, Professor Coons, one of our IT professors, he talked about this cycle of expectations. And so we start up at the top, right? We got our expectations, leads to opportunities, which leads to our performance, which then leads to perceptions by the individual that lead to new expectations that lead to hopefully new opportunities. I can give you an example of this. Several, actually. But anyway, job, right? You submit your job application. There's an expectation when they look at your resume. What do you offer? What is there in it for us? And then they decide, hey, I'm going to give this person an opportunity, right? Then that leads to your performance, whether or not you accept or reject the job. I assume you are going to accept it anyway. Performance. You perform. However, you, whatever happens, they, your performance determines what perceptions, what people think of you. And that leads to new expectations, which may, which may or may not lead to new opportunities. Now, why do I bring this up? What does this have any, any relationship to what the Bible has to say, right? Well, think about the relationship between the believers and unbelievers, right? When we engage with people in the culture, there's a certain expectation, isn't there? With people, both unbelievers and unbelievers alike. And they give us an opportunity, don't we? Don't they? We get to talk with them, be with them, live around them, right? And what we do determines how they perceive God in the Bible, in a way, right? Because we're, we're image bearers of God. We claim that we're siding with God, do we? And that leads to new expectations. It's sad if, when, as Christians, we claim to follow Christ and we don't, right, in our everyday life. We don't show it to anyone. We don't ever share it. And that may, unfortunately, lead to lost opportunities. Christians not, you know, not following God's word, not being able to witness effectively. A lot of things can cause that, right? Our unfaithfulness, our sin, different problems. I got a question for you. So I was convicted this past semester when I was talking to one of my professors, and he mentioned to us um, that what, what do sinners relate with, right? Uh, uh, how can we relate to the world in a different way? And one of the things he mentioned was if you have someone, a coworker, and for instance, for my case, I, I was in counting and I was an intern last year at Crow, and people would go out and drink every Friday. Common thing, counting industry, a lot of industries do this. Um, and my professor asked me, uh, or asked the class, I guess you would say, that would it be, could you be a minister going to the bar with them and then driving back home, and every day doing that, or at least every Friday. Because sometimes being there is more important. You don't have to drink, right? 
There's more at a bar than wine and stuff like that. Anyway, but I was convicted on that because some people, they can relate to you better that way because you're there with them. Oh, just a thought. Not everyone might agree with that. Investing. Why are you there? Okay. So there's three types of categories of investing. Uh, investing in self, which is the educational aspect, the reading, exercise, meditation in God's word, praying to God. This is our relational aspect, right, with, between us and God. It's also how we, uh, we improve ourselves in a way, you know, constantly pursuing um, that excellence that God talked about in the productivity. Uh, turn with me to Matthew chapter 25, verse 14 through 30. Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents to another, and to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his ability and, has, and to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. Then he that received the five talents went and traded with the same and made them other five talents. And likewise, he that had received two, he also gained other two. But he that received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of who, those servants came, cometh and reckoneth with them. And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. His Lord said unto him, Well done, that good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. He also that had received two talents came and said unto the Lord, Thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servants. Thou hast been faithful over the few, of few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Then he which had had received the one talent came and said unto the Lord, I know, I know thee that thou art an hard man reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid, and went, and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast it, that is thine. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knowest that I reap where I sowed not, and gather where I, I have not strawed. Thou oughtest, therefore, to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming it should have been received." my own with usury. Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him which hath ten talents. For unto every one that hath 
hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. For from him that he, from uh, from him that hath not shall be taken away, even that which he hath. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall there there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So we can see in this example, in this example we can see the investing in others, right? The master uh, entrusted talents to three servants in this case, right? But there was only three that, two of the three that actually were faithful and were able to reap, reap a war from it. But you know, as you know, we can sometimes make poor investments, even if everything is right. And he disciplined the one that was unproductive and unfaithful. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 24 through 25. There, there be four things which are little upon the earth, but they are exceeding wise. The ants are a people not strong, yet they prepare their meat in the summer. Question for us is, you know, for the servant, if you would have looked in, because in, 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 Jesus was the one who gave this example. If he would have looked to Proverbs chapter 30, he would have known that he could have been more faithful and diligent in his work, looking to the ant for even. Even the ants just, they work, right? No one's overseeing them, but yet they work. Eternal investments. Eternal investments. Storing up eternal treasures. It's different than other things. It's not corruption. We're no dust and moth corrupt. Uh, Matthew chapter eight, uh, 6, verse 20. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor dust nor, uh, nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. Uh, vesting is something valuable in eternal life, something that lasts even longer than ourselves into all eternity. That's the type of investment that God asks us to make. Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure, hidden in a field, the which a man hath found, he, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. That's how precious it is, something we can, we're willing to give up our money just to be able to possess it. So, I guess to close up, because I'm almost out of time. By the way, before I, when I was talking to Pastor this week, I was like, there is no way I'm going to get through it, and I did not get through it. <laughs> A lot more context to this needs to be added, but we can't stop here, can we? we have, I need to finish it at least in a verse. Uh, turn to, which one? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Excuse me, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, where in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. 
but God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, 